Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 150th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Change is perhaps the one thing that is both highly wished for and something to be avoided at all costs. On one hand, when times are tough, most of us often hope for better days to come, a new job, a bigger house, a significant other to enter into our lives. We as humans, to some degree, have an aversion to monotony and are often desperately in search for a giant revelation or inspiration that will come along and guide us down another path. On the other hand, when we often feel that times are too good and we are feeling a bit comfortable in where we are, change can present quite a disturbance in our lives. A new boss could mean longer hours. An ending relationship could spell years of solitude on the horizon, or even more tragically, with each and every passing day beyond the age of 25, our bodies are slowly becoming older and weaker. Regardless of how one might feel about change, one thing is certain, it is inevitable. Helping me to make sense of quickly changing times, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, how goes life? Do you feel that you're in need of change or are you happy with the status quo right now? No, absolutely happy with the status quo. That <laughs> could always change. <laughs> now, when you're, okay, so you're happy with the status quo. Do you ever develop anxiety and fear of, oh no, my happy status quo might be threatened? Like, uh, you know, like my rent might go up, my job might change. Like, because you see, people think that when they're happy with the status quo, they're just happy. But some people are liking the status quo, but they still have anxiety and fear that some monkey wrench is going to be thrown into their life and disrupt the status quo. So, so how do you deal with that? Well, to be honest, yeah, I mean, I feel it. Uh, not as often as I used to when I was a teenager, but I still feel it every now and then. Uh, it's one of those things that I simply just don't allow myself to feel for too long. It's never fun to know that or to believe that your life could change for the worst. And that, you know, in a blink, in the twinkling of an eye, things could go very, very badly for you or your loved ones. Change, and I mean, it's usually fear of the unknown. And the unknown is well, it's, it's definitely the change that is that 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 we fear. So how do how I deal with that personally? Two folds. The first thing for me, the most important thing for me, is absolutely prayer. Um, that I cannot and I will not downplay how important that is. The second is a training of my mind. Not to say that I'm 100% proficient at it. I'm always learning, but I try not to. I try not to let my fears or my anxieties last for more than 24 hours. Okay, man. Um, I, I feel like you're a magician, and I'm gonna. I know magicians don't reveal their tricks, but I'm gonna try and get you to reveal some of your tricks. Let's talk about prayer. Um, you know, if it's private, you don't have to talk about it. Is there anything, is there something that you ask for or something that you do in your prayers that allows you to, to, to kind of, that mitigates the anxiety? What, what specifically do you pray for? Well, I, no, nothing's off limits in terms of, <laughs> I can talk about everything and anything, especially with you, my good man. So it, it's, it's a matter of prayer is one of those things that over the years, I've learned that everybody goes about it very differently. Not everybody, but most, some people go about it very differently. 
but the hope is that you know you get the same um, effects. But for me, I would say that prayer is communing with the living God. And I, if if I believe that you know I have a heavenly Father who cares for me, and who knows my name, he knows about my life, and uh, who knows that I am I, I just a simple man. I mean, dude, I, I could I could get hit by a bus walking outside. I could trip on my way. My, I'm, I'm human beings are so fragile, we're so simple, and we're so breakable that it can be scary. But when when I know, and I do know that there's somebody who is far more powerful than I am and who cares for me as one cares for a child or one cares for a, um, for a loved one. Um, when, I, when, I tell, when I tell him all of my worries and my, anxious, my anxieties, which I often do, I find that often even before I'm done, my heart and my worries are my, my heart is lighter, my worries seem to be taken away, my burden is lifted in a sense, um, simply because I've communed, spoken to him who can do that which I cannot. And uh, the next place is to ready my heart and my mind to, to take a stance against those things that may creep up, the fears that may creep up even after prayer. I wanna add, I think that's really, wise and I, I think that's a really good habit to form. I have talked about prayer on this podcast uh, before with another person and I, I want to ask you this question. Um, I believe in the power of prayer. However, one thing that I, I still have a stumbling block in my head about it is asking for stuff. And here's why. I feel like when people ask for things when they're pr- when they're praying, it may or may not happen. And sometimes I get worried that like, if they ask for something and it doesn't happen, then they lose faith. So what's your advice when it comes to prayer about asking for stuff? Like, is it wise to ask God for stuff? Because there's always that possibility that he may or may not make it happen for you. And then if he doesn't make it happen to you, for you, you're going to lose faith or you're going to think, oh, it doesn't work anymore or God's not listening. How do you deal with that issue? Because I think that's, that's a really sore point for most. And that's a really yeah. challenging thing to overcome. Okay. Well, you know, it's, that's very understandable. Um, it's, it's very understandable. And I felt the same thing, especially, you know, um, I would say around maybe I felt it more when I was between 19 and 23. But the first thing is, absolutely, it's possible. It's absolutely possible because you're dealing with a, you're dealing with another person. It's not a person like you are a person, but he's a, he's a person nonetheless, in the sense of um, an, an autonomous being in the fullest sense of what autonomy is. Will, when we say human beings have free will, well, we don't. We don't really have free will. We have freedom of choice. Very different. If we had free will, it means that we could do anything. No, but we can make choices and we can make mostly any choice that we want to make. But God has free will. He can do anything he wants to do. And he can, within that free will, is freedom of choice. Uh, somebody I um, um, listened to many years ago, many years ago, but it's, what he said stuck in my mind because it's just true. It's just common sense. It says, you know, uh, as far as he knows, there's only three ways God answers prayer. Says He says either yes, no, or later. 
there's no such thing as maybe. It's a matter of yes, no, or later, not now, because you're not, you know, you're you're just not ready for it. Just like I'm not going, if my son asks me for the keys to my car, I'm going to tell him, you know, later when you're older. So I think that, you know, it's very possible for there to be a response in the negative. And that's what, that's a good thing because it's, it, it's reassuring. And it's, it's, at least as far as I know, it's reassuring because you're dealing with somebody who knows and you're dealing with somebody, which is important. And you're not dealing with a magical, you know, slot machine or a magical, you know, ven ven vending machine that can, you know, you just you put in the right quarter and he gives you the right, you know, right, um, right good, right goods, right? God is not so, a genie. He's not a genie at all. <laughs> furthest thing from it, right? So, you know, one of the things that we, it's important to keep in mind is that, yeah, you're dealing with another person who does care for you and knows better whether you like it or not. It's just how it is. You know, it's not, I, know, I don't mean the sense of like it or not, like, oh, you better like it or not. No, it really is whether you do like it or whether you do not like it. In the, in the sense of one of the things I've noticed, learned about life is that we don't really like it when we don't, we can't manipulate people. And we, we're, we're grand manipulators. But God is one of those beings that we cannot manipulate at all. Now, um, that being said, I would say ask, ask, ask for as much as you can and ask for, ask for anything that your heart does desire because why not? The worst you can get is a no. And if you get a no, it's a no for a good reason. And here's the thing about getting no's. A no can always change. People think God doesn't change his mind. He does change his mind. You look at throughout the Bible, you find that he, you know, he relents from doing something he wanted to do and does something he had previously, you know, decided not to do for the sake of somebody, because of the way you ask, because of your humility, because of your persistence, and because of, you know, change of circumstance. And so I would say keep asking and never be discouraged because you don't never be discouraged when you get a no, because you're not a, you're not a child, you're not a petulant child. You're an adult, hopefully you're an adult, you know? And if it's children, there's a different way to handle this. But when you're dealing with adults, well, you're, you're a grown up. you know what I mean? You know you can't have everything you want. You know that, you, you, in, you, 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 you intrinsically know that. And, and so don't be discouraged because actually when you're discouraged, what happens is, you know, you, 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 we often get, we're, 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 we're beings that when, once we get discouraged, you don't get better attitudes, we actually get bad attitudes. And uh, that's never a good way. I mean, even people who are, even fathers that are on earth, like worldly, earthly fathers, you know, you come, you come to them asking for something and they tell you no, and then you what you flip a chair over, <laughs> you're going to get a spanking bruv. You know what I mean? And so I think, uh, I think keep asking and uh, don't, don't, don't be discouraged. Don't get a bad attitude. Keep asking and keep, 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 a, keep a good and uh, how you say, keep a happy heart because you have more. He's, I mean, you, you'll have more, um, more than you ever expected. Man, I, I've never seen someone speak about the word no so positively. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I absolutely agree with you that there are so many things, especially when I was younger, that I may have wanted or asked for, but God knew, like, you're not ready, dude. 
you're, you're not ready. And what it usually is, is that if you were given that thing, you would not appreciate it, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, whether it's a, a car, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's a high paying job, whatever it is, like, if you get stuff before you're ready to get that stuff, you're more likely to abuse it. You're more likely to take it for granted because you're like, you, it, it, and I like the analogy you used with a child and a car. It's like, if you give the keys to your car to a 12 year old, they're gonna probably crash it into a hydrant or whatever. And it's not that, it, it doesn't mean that they were never meant to drive. It just means that at that moment, they haven't developed the skills and the maturity to actually appreciate the value of a vehicle, of having a car and so forth. Yeah. So. I think, and in God's really, because, and, and I, on the by and by people, I know, I do know a number of entitled people who got things way too early. They got, you know, you know, their, their parents got them cars when they were 16 or whatever, which, yeah. and it kind of, it kind of ruined them in a way because light, like they were flying high as a kite at a very young age. And then it's only downhill from there. Right. It's like, well, I was driving when I was 16. How dare you tell me I have to take the bus now. Whereas if you've been riding the bus for 10, 15 years, and then finally you get to drive, that's, that's like, I didn't, uh, I didn't start driving regularly until I was 31 years old. I was like riding, I'm in New York city. So I'll be real. Yeah. Like, you know, a car is not a must just waiting that long to drive a car makes me really appreciate it. And maybe if yeah. I had get, been given that car when I was 17 or whatever, I wouldn't appreciate it as much. So sometimes yeah. the weight and the maturity and all that stuff is needed. Before we move on from this area, yeah. you know, I got to go far and you know, I got to go into some dark territory. Let me hear it. And this, I did mention this on the previous podcast. I'm curious to see what your response is. What do you say when it comes to prayer and terminal illnesses? Because, yeah. okay, okay, we can say, um, all right, God, you know, I'm not ready to drive a car now. I'm not ready to get married, whatever it is, right? Like, total, total, I'm not ready to meet Mr. or Mrs. Right. But what happens when it's like, hey, man, you got a year to live uh, and you want to you want to live longer. It's like, hey, like I'm only I'm only 25 years old. I don't want to die. What yeah. happens when somebody's praying for their illness to go away and then it doesn't? Is that does one just have to accept that God wants me to die right now? Is that is that is that what what has to happen in this? OK, I mean, so this is I mean, this is actually this one. <laughs> I was just I was literally literally just thinking about this yesterday night. This is one of those things that is, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people speak about this. And um, one thing that, it, that bugs me in the way I've heard it talked about is this whole idea that, you know, God can do whatever he wants to do, which is true, absolutely. But so how does that help? How does that, what now? It's a matter of like, okay, now I feel even stupid for not wanting to die <laughs> like i don't want to die well okay so i'll say this there are people who are who have been sick and they've prayed and their lives were completely changed and they're, they're, there was a they, they were healed it's just that simple now they're either healed miraculously or they were healed um um you know through some sort of special you know medical intervention but the healing does occur. And there are people who pray and they still die. First thing is, we need to understand one thing that's very important. Death for the human being is the most 
terrifying and often the most tragic thing anyone could possibly experience because it's death it is the it is it is it is moving into what we believe to be nothingness right as you you're you're done you're no thing you are you're you're finished you're out of the universe and never will be never 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 will return okay so but this isn't really the case in the sense of there's it's kind of like when children when you put children down to sleep they're, they're always, and this is something my friend noticed, a good friend of mine, and he was, he was, he said, kids, he's noticed that kids don't want to sleep, not because of what you're being called towards, or what you're being, being called from. The sleep is removing them to, well, to sleep. But what's most important is it's also removing them from all the fun they're having, and all the games they're playing, and all the people around them. And that's what that's what that's what you're kicking against, because when they end up sleeping, they end up sleeping. And you you know when parents have to say, "Oh, he looks so peaceful when he sleeps." Well, they're enjoying their sleep because they're supposed to. It's kind of like that, but with death, it's twofold. We have no idea what we're moving towards. Often we don't. Christians often believe we believe that we're moving, you know, going back to God, and that's why often Christians don't have this. You know, um, or even many, many religions uh, and those who have a specific, like a personal God, they often believe they're moving back to their personal God. And so there is this, there is a, there is a, there is a sense of peace while, but there's still the kicking against what they're moving away from, especially if it's a young person moving away from their future, moving away from their parents, their wives and kids and moving away from their job and the, the potential that their future held. And that's 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 the hardest part, um, but death is, as far as I know, and you know, I could never say I could never, I, I've 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 never died, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and so it's some might say some might say that the period before you were born was death. Yeah, I've heard I've, yeah, I've heard <laughs> about that too. But yeah, so it's it's a. Uh, it's twofold because we we often don't know we're moving towards and we but we certainly don't want to be moving away from where we are and so that's what's that's what's really scary about it but the 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 honest thing is that god knows what we're moving towards though he understands we're moving away from he also knows we're moving towards and you know especially according to the um christian faith the idea is often the case that we are moving towards something better and so it's very different, and this is very, this is because I'm speaking from a very Christian, you know, worldview. It's going to be hard for me to articulate this in a way for those who are who don't see things the way I do. And then if we you know if we, we were if I was to meet somebody like that person, it'd probably be a different answer. But God's of God sees death. Actually, I say sees death, right? Uh, God's God's interaction with death is not the way we interact with death. It's kind of like, you know, um, Alice in Wonderland. She's, you know, we're being pulled down the rabbit hole. It's terrifying, but we're going to a very wonderful, wonderful um, and very strange encounter. And, but it's, but it's, it's, it's the Mad Hatter who knows what we're about to encounter. We don't know. And so you keep kicking against the Mad Hatter and saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But a Mad Hatter is like, I trust me, bruv. It's not going to be as bad as you think. So I think that God's perspective on death is far greater than ours. It's different, and He um, 
sometimes he's still going to pull us towards it because he knows what we don't know. But now, when it comes to praying for those who are terminally ill, I would say, yeah, a person, and, and there, there's two things about, there's two things about this. There are those who have, how you say, power. I'm, I'm a very, I'm not a powerful man, and I'm talking about spiritual power. Now, people, you know, I'm sure there are going to be many listeners who are like, ha, spiritual power? I didn't come here for spiritual power. I came here for philosophy. Well, yeah, you know, philosophy and, you know. Spiritual power could be looking down the barrel of a gun and not flinching. And not flinching. You're just just that confident that like, okay, whatever, I'm dead now. No biggie. I'm not saying, you know, like that's spiritual power. Yeah. Yeah, and so there, there are those, there are those who have the spiritual power. There's, you know, the um, who have a, who have a certain kind of spiritual power that has, you know, that has some sort of mystical, how you say, a, a, a spiritual or mystical um, dominion over the human body. And when they pray, things happen over the human body. Personally, I don't understand it, but I cannot deny that this is how you say. I cannot deny that this, this, that there's evidence for this. Um, you have people like uh, how you say. Um, in the past, like John J. Lake, you have the Christ, you have the apostles and, you know, the claims, you know, the claims of the Bible. So when they pray, things happen. When I pray for people who are sick, I don't know that anything's happening. I'm going to be honest with you. But I know there are people like that in this world. I'm just not one of them. Now, does that mean that I shouldn't pray? Well, not necessarily, because it's kind of like, though I don't have the power, I know somebody who does. It's the same thing. I'm not the author of life. I'm not the biggest, baddest being in this world. A bullet could take me out. Hell, a toothpick could take me out. If you've seen John Wick, a pen could take a, a pencil could take a person out, you know? But God does have the power. And so because he has the power, I'm appealing to him that if, if in his mercy, if in his kindness, simply because we've asked, not that the person is going to something horrible, but because we've asked that the person may live. But then again, it comes back to what we had spoken about before. He's still a being, a being who can choose, like a king can choose to release a prisoner or not. A prince, a king can choose to be, you know, to be a benefactor. Oh, sorry, to be benefactor. Is it a benefactor? And no, I think a benefactor is the one who receives. But a, 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 um, it can be benevolence or, or, or choose to you know, withdraw his hand. So it all comes down to his choices and so forth. And at the end of the day, of course, it's painful. And of course, you know, we don't understand all these things. And I'm here speaking confidently about things that I, I do not have 100% grasp on at all. But I think we should still pray, especially if our hearts move us to pray. If there is the grief and the desire for the person to live, we should absolutely pray because one never knows when one's prayer will be answered. There's this curious, curious story about, um, um, C.S. Lewis's stepson, I think his name is Graham. I forget his first name. Is it Graham? Something Graham? Yeah. Um, he he had um, prayed for his mother to be um, to be healed because she was dying, and uh, he was just a kid. He was just a kid, and he remembered in his being, in his soul, when you know that you know. He said he remembered knowing that he knew that she was going to be okay, and he went home. And she began to recover and she met, she spent about, I think, six years or so with him. I think maybe something along the lines, like, don't quote me on those numbers, but she spent a good time, long time with him and Lewis. 
and then the sickness came back. And um, by then he was a much older lad and he went, went back to that church or to that area where he had prayed before and he prayed again and he heard this time in his heart that if you want me to do it, I will do it. And he remembered thinking there was something along the lines of, he knew it was time that he was okay. He was gonna be okay without her. He didn't need her anymore. And he simply said, you know, it's okay. That will be done. Let it be what you want it to be. And then she, she died not too long afterwards. Um, and, but this is interesting because like I said, this, this, the, the most important part here is the people's relationship with death. Because if death to you is the, is the worst thing that could possibly happen, this is all I'm saying, everything I'm saying here is complete and utter nonsense. But for those who understand who have ears to hear and understand what I mean, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at, then yes, it's not the end of all things. And absolutely pray because one never knows. And if it is not, if it does not go the way you want it to go, do not, don't, don't kick against the goat. You know, don't, um, don't be too discouraged. Wow, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom to unpack here. So first off, I, I think that I just give a lot of credit to religious folk, you know, during this pandemic, especially, and just during any sort of troubling times, because you know, the, the topic of this conversation has changed, but in the back of my head, I knew that the ultimate change is death, right? Like, and that's, and, and once you conquered, or I don't think any, I don't know if anyone can fully conquer the fear of death, but once you are more comfortable with death, then other forms of change aren't so bad, right? Like, so like, if you're, if you're no longer worrying about death, chances are you're not going to worry about being laid off from your job, <laughs> right? Like, like, so you have to, you have to conquer, you kind of have to conquer the biggest giant in the room. And then once you conquer the biggest giant in the room, everything everyone else is looking pretty small. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everyone, everyone else is, is like, you know, four feet tall, right. Compared yeah. to the biggest giant in the room. And I think ultimately, yes, if, if you have God, if you have religion, if you have some form of faith-based system, um, death isn't all that bad. I will put a caveat there. Um, I think if you have done some pretty darn wicked things in your life, and you, you know, this, this is why I always say that the good people always have the final laugh. Um, because if, if look, you know, am I perfect? No, you know, like, like, is it, you know, maybe who knows, maybe we'll, we'll all get in trouble for like stealing that candy bar when we were eight or something, you know, like fine. Okay. But generally speaking, if you're confident and you know it, you don't have to justify it. You just know it in your heart, you know it in your soul. If you've generally been a decent fella or, or a decent gal, death doesn't, worry you so much because you know, and that's kind of your reward, right? If you've been a decent person, you've been fair and square with as many people as possible, you know, okay, I've done a few bad things, but ultimately I'm, I'm, you know, on par with everyone else, maybe even a little better or whatever. It's not going to be so bad, right? It's only when you've done a bunch of wicked stuff and now you're like, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, um, uh-oh, like, right? Like, cause that's, that's what happens, right? Like, and no matter, oh, I don't believe anything. I, I believe I'm just going to rot in the ground, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't care what your lips are saying about rotting in the ground. You still, and that, that might be the case, right? We, we, you know, no, you don't know. I don't know. You might just end up rotting in the, in the ground, but you still have that giant, what if, 
right? And if you've been a wicked person, that what if really begins to haunt you at night, right? You're, because you're, especially when you get up there in age, you know, you're, if you, if you, if you've killed 15 people and now you're 85 years old, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> like every doctor visit is really scaring you. But if you've been a decent person, the doctor visits don't scare you anymore. You're, oh, okay, you know, like, all right, I might have to repent for that candy bar when I was eight, but no biggie. And, and, the, and this is like the power, this is truly like the power of faith and, and, and having religion, having God and, and having some kind of faith-based system in your life because um, it allows you to atone and, and sort of cleanse your soul for, for the next life if, if you so believe in that, right? The other thing I wanna tackle in, and, and I wanna kind of address what you're saying with prayer. What about this idea that, and this kind of goes back to this idea that we all have a life's mission. And as soon as we fulfill our life's mission, God kind of just pulls the plug on us. He's like, okay, you've done your job. It's time for you to go. Whether whether you did something really good for this world or you did something bad for this world or something mediocre. Like in that example with C.S. Lewis or C.S. Lewis's brother. No, his, uh, his stepson. Stepson, I'm sorry. Okay, in, in, in the C.S. Lewis example, I think that it's like, he keeps that person around until uh, until god knows like you can deal without them right and, and that's that's like just you fulfilled your mission like you were put on this earth to be a custodian to this person or a mentor to that person it, it's kind of like obi-wan kenobi he's like all right i've done my job getting luke off this planet it's time for me to go so i'm wondering if if perhaps instead of necessarily praying for people to keep living we just pray like hey god i i you know like i i trust that letting this person live or die is the right thing to do because ultimately i i think god knows what your plan is he knows your mission and he doesn't keep you on this earth a second longer than than he has to right like like what like like why would he do that why like there's no like everyone here has like, it's like a video game. There's like the main story mission. And then there's like the side quests, right? And with God, there's no side quests. It's like, once you've fulfilled your story mode in the credits roll, you're done, you're over. And that, and that's not something sad. It's something positive. It means you've done whatever it is that you were meant to do on this earth. And now it's time for you to go. So I'm wondering if, you know, instead of being like, please, please keep this person alive, please keep them alive. Maybe it's just a question of coming to terms with, did this person fulfill their mission or did they not fulfill their mission? How, how does that interpretation sound to you? Well, I think, you know, it's personally, I think that it's a, it's a better way than the fear. The fear is understandable, but like most, um, how do you say, um, but it's it's the it's the foundation. It's not it's not it's, it's how we all begin. It's the fear, and so I would say that this is the next place is uh, coming to terms with the fact that death is inevitable. And then, if you have this understanding that life means something and that people are here for reasons, then it's no longer a matter of you know keeping them alive as for as long as possible, because there's a greater, there's, there, there, there are greater things at hand. There's a greater task. There's a greater, there's a greater, how do you say, greater theme. And so I think that this is actually far better for a person's state of mind. And it is a, um, it's, it shows a certain level of maturity 
because what you're worried about is no longer the fact that the person is dying, but are they dying well? Is that are they dying? Because death will come for us all, whether we know it, whether we know it or not, like it or not, it will come. But to understand that there is more to death, there is more to life and death than simply living and dying, but there is purpose. And being far more concerned with that purpose is, I think, is a, is, is a, is a mature step, is a mature step above the fear. Okay, because I, I think the, the people that we really need to help out here are our 20-year-olds or whatever. Because if you're 83 years old and you have like three Nobel Peace Prizes or something, and then death comes knocking on your door, you're like, all right, I got three Nobel Prizes. Like, it's time for me to go. <laughs> like, right then, it's like it's evident, it's like it's evident that you uh, fulfilled your life's mission. Let's try and help our 23-year-olds or 24-year-olds who might brush across death and they, they might, it might be this, point, well, come on, man, I'm 24. I don't deserve to, die. come on now, come on, right? But may, maybe it's a, a question of like, you were 24, but you did everything that you were supposed to do. And you just, you finished the game early. And I, I think a really good example of someone who finished the game early is uh, Jim Morrison, the lead singer of The Doors, okay? And he's in the 27 Club. He died at the age of 27. Tragically, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like it was beautiful. He died, he died, I, I believe, of a, a drug overdose. So it's not, it's not something that was glamorous. But the things that he achieved, like the songs that he wrote, all before the age of 27, which is insane. It's insane that I'm like years older than him right now, and this guy has achieved things that I could only imagine dream, dreaming. And and the guy was is several years younger than me. So. I'm wondering in my head, it's like, okay, it's tragic that he died when he did, but perhaps people could celebrate that he fulfilled his life's mission at 27, right? Like he just, at 27, he did everything that God wanted him to do. And therefore, once he completed his mission, it, it was time for him to go. And this is a tricky thought, man, because then people are going to be like, well, I'll just delay fulfilling my life's mission so I can live longer. And it's a slippery slope, right? This is not, it's not an easy, like it's, yeah. it's kind of, it leaves a lot of things uh, untied. But it depends. So it, so it depends on if the world does actually work that way. We're saying that this is, that as a theory is, um, is better than the fear. But evidence to, to support that the world actually works that way, I mean, it's not possible to know. It's like saying that one, would, one, one knows the mind of God and the mind of God in the sense of, you know, what people's purpose actually is. So a man could create all the beautiful artworks that he or she, you know, that he's capable of making and, uh, um, and then die. And we say, well, well, he must have done everything he was supposed to do. Well, maybe. Because the artworks may have been, how you say, a, a, a nice side mission while he was alive. But it might have been something else. There might have been more to the story. But like we said, like we said earlier, this is simply a theory of how, this is the theory of how the world, how the cosmos works. It's not the actual, because we don't know, for, we don't know for, 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 for a fact, but this is, this is the actuality. Because we find that, okay, babies die. Well, what was their purpose? Did they accomplish anything? Was the purpose just to breathe once and disappear? Or how about when, uh, if a woman carries a carries a, ch a child for um, for nine months, and the day before she was supposed to give birth, she gets hit by a bus, 
And what about her life's purpose? Was it simply to carry that child for that specific amount of time? And, you know, so it gets very complicated and it gets very, and it gets to that place where people say, well, I'll just sit down and eat Doritos. That couldn't possibly be my life's purpose. And then it's like, okay, but- I actually have a theory on, on like, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, hold on now. Like I, you know, like women- I'm I'm over I'm generalizing here, okay, and I, I I apologize to my listeners for generalizing, but I know that women who have had miscarriages, when they end up having a, another child that that goes full term, they tend to really love and appreciate the next child that they've had because they've gone through the pain and the suffering of having a miscarriage. Okay. Now I'm not, I, look, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, say, oh, well, you know, that first child had to go in order for the mother to appreciate the second child or whatever. I'm just noticing that like, some, like even I, I'm saying, if you really think about it, even something as tragic as a stillborn child might have some, there might be something more to it than just, it was a random occurrence. It might be that that's, that's priming the mother to really appreciate the next child. Maybe, maybe without that stillborn, the mother would not have appreciated having a child as much, but then that pain of having a stillborn then, you know, like transformed her in such a way to really love the next child that came again. I I'm not trying to play with people's yeah. emotions and you know, this is beyond, this is beyond my pay grade <laughs> as to why these things happen. But <laughs> if you really think about anything, you can always find a justification for it in some, in some crazy way. Yeah. So I, and I, I would say that I, I can understand that. And that is something like that when it comes to the child, is you know i mean I, I have a couple of friends who've had miscarriages i've never had the sad happenings of that happening to me but i would say that it's more the effect and not so it's like this causation versus versus effect so it's um maybe the 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 joy that comes the joy the appreciation of having the the the, the child that lives is the effect of the ones you lost not necessarily the causation. So it's not necessarily that, you know, people often say God puts you through hard trials so that you can, well, maybe, I, I don't know. But it seems as though, because, the, because two people could go through the exact same thing and come out very different. One, one comes out more grateful, more thankful, and the other comes out bitter and miserable to the core. And so... I would say that it's the, the, the cause is unknown to me. The cause is one of those things that when we say, well, shit happens, life is full of turpsy turby roller coaster, batty waddy happenings and batty waddy. <laughs> and, uh, um, and we all learn from it. I can sit down at a coffee shop and learn two or three things about the world, absolutely. Now, was I intended to learn any of those things? Well, I can't say for sure, but I know that the effect of what I witnessed is the learning. The effect of what I witnessed is, the, is, is, is this new information being, you know, being, um, being accumulated by me. So people who lose, the, I would say that the, 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 hard, the hard things, the bad things, the, 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 the difficult things, the pains of this world, I don't know whether or not they're there to, they're there by causation to teach you something, but I would say that there is always something to learn by the effects of those things happening to you. 
to even, yeah, to play devil's advocate with myself, a lot of people would accuse, like with the example I just used with the stillborn, a lot of people would accuse me, Aaron, that's a coping mechanism. You're using a coping mechanism. You're like crazy batshit things happen to you and you're using this all as a giant coping mechanism. And, and my response to that is yes, and if that, if that, if that, yes, and if that, if that, mm-hmm. if that makes my life better and gives meaning and purpose to the sequence of events that happened in my life, why is that so wrong? You know what I mean? Like if I yeah. come up with these elaborate justifications for bad things that have happened to me, and the key thing is, is it makes me stronger, makes me wiser, gives my life more meaning and purpose. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. use whatever it takes to get through this thing called life. That, that's what I say. You know what I mean? It, it's like, like we invented morphine for a reason. So that when you have surgery, you're not in pain, you know, like, like it's not use whatever you can get out of this world to make it work for you. And I, I, I think that people will say, um, cause I think that, I think people who don't try and find meaning in their life and just think that everything is just a bunch of random dots. It's all just a random dots. It's all random. It doesn't make any sense. It's all random. In my experience, that tends like people who think that way tend to do pretty awful stuff because they think it doesn't matter. So my 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 point is is that if you just completely say it's all just a giant mystery, I don't know how it works, it's all just random dots, it's all scatter plot and whatnot, it's like you're gonna probably go with the more selfish road. You're going to go with the most self-serving road. You're going to seek a lot of pleasure. But I think when you are doing the hard work and, and trying to figure out meaning with all of these random dots, I think you'd actually be surprised. It's like, remember when you were a kid, there were those books of random dots and they had numbers attached to them, like one, two. But then when you actually connected all those dots, like a cool cat or something, or Mickey Mouse came, remember? So yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, the dots, the yeah, yeah, but, but when you yeah. look at the dots at first glance, they just look like a random dots, but then you connect the first dot to the second dot and the third dot, and then you've got a cool cat. I think there's some value in, in trying to dig meaning out of your life. It's not just a bunch of random tragedy and stuff, because if you don't yeah. do that, I, I feel like you're going to err on the side of of awful behavior. The beautiful thing about that's why I, I really like I like I like I love these I love the cosmos. The beautiful thing about you know the person who says that it's all random and that there is nothing and then they do what they want to do. Well, they've simply said that life is irrational. But now I'm going to use my rationality to live out an irrational life. So it's a matter of, they say it's all random, but they cannot help but live rationally based on that assumption about life. So the human beings, we are, we are desperately rational people. We are. Unfortunately, we, we're rational to a point and then we stop. <laughs> but we can't help it. We can't, we can't help it. There's we, we, and I, I'm, I'm yet to see a person, you know, walking on their, on their hands rather than on their feet and using their, you know, using their feet to pick up uh, spoons and cups, you know, except for there was a young man who had lost his arms or born without arms and legs and he was using his feet, but, you know, he's a different case, but I'm very, very, very uh, talented and unusual situation. Um, but usually 
we we try to make sense out of life. Even when we say life doesn't make sense, we're using sense to say to make sense about a life that doesn't make sense. And so it's it's kind of very, it's very interesting in the very interesting situation. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say that um, there is nothing wrong with escape. There's nothing wrong with coping with life. And so it's understandable. I mean, people take it, some people take it to a very destructive, self-destructive and uh, socially destructive um, level. And I wouldn't recommend that, but I would recommend escape um, in a most, how you say, um, um, in the most wholesome way. I remember reading or you know, listening to a book by uh, um, Neil Gaiman, where he had made, said this quote, I believe he attributed it to Lewis, but I can't be sure, but I think it was Lewis who says that, and it goes something like this, that the only people who are hell-bent on keeping you from escaping are jailers. And so there's nothing wrong with escape. The question is, how do you escape? How long do you escape? And uh, are you willing to come back to reality after escaping for a little bit? Because I think we all need to escape for a little bit. I, I, I hear you on this, on this, on, because like so, sometimes if you focus a little too much on the darkness that has happened and you can't make sense of it in that moment, it can drive you crazy. It's kind of um, like that book, the, the, the killing joke with the Joker or whatever. And, you know, he can't, he, he just can't make any sense of his life. And then he turns into the Joker or something like that. And I, I, I get it. Like go, go to the movies and have fun. It's better to go to the movies and have a good time than turn into the next Joker. I, I, I <laughs> Completely, I completely agree with you on that. But you do have to, like, you can visit an island for a little fun, but eventually you do need to come back to the mainland. And and the main, like, the island, the island is irrationality, and the mainland is the rational mind, right? So it's okay. You can have a little fun on the island of irrationality, but you need to come back to one of the main continents at some point. And here's why. Because if you live too long on the island, then... You're, you're using irrationality to justify your bad behavior, right? Like, 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 because what happens is that I think that bad people just say, it's, you know, it's all going to burn down. It's all irrational. So they use this irrationality and the randomness of the universe as a, as a, yeah, they use their irrationality as a tool to justify their bad behavior, right? So when they steal something, when they hurt another human being, they're like, there's no consequences. There's no rhyme or reason to this universe. I can do whatever the hell it is that I want. And if you live in that, if you live in that arena for too long, I think you're missing the point to life. The Again. island of strange foods. Yes, yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, yeah, it, you you got to come back. You got to come back home. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to be done. Um, and there's lots of there's lots of people who need your help. There's 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 a lot for you to do. So you got to come back home. Yeah. I want to kind of um, get back to the topic of change. <laughs> <laughs> to change the topic, one might say. Yeah, right. We're changing again. Um, so I think that with, and I, I think we can sum this up. I don't think this needs to be a two-part episode. I think we can sum this up within the next 10 minutes. So whether whether it's the status quo, whether it's radical change in your life, I think perhaps acceptance that it's the hand of God or it's the hand of, of like, 
I, I think the phrase it was meant to be, and I know that's the most ultimate cliche and it pisses people off. It was meant to be, it was meant to be that my, my son died. I get it. It's when, when people hear the words, it was meant to be, there's almost a little bit of cruelty in it because like you're, you're asking that person to just accept the most atrocious thing that ever happened to them and just be like, oh, it was meant to be. However, there's a lot of power, a lot of power and strength in accepting it was meant to be because whether, whether, because when good times come, you don't get too excited and you don't get too comfortable. Like, right. Because when good times are here, you're not too, you're not too dependent on the good times in order to feel happy. And that helps you out because when the bad times come, which they always do, you also realize like, I'm not too invested in these bad times. It's just meant to be just, it's meant to rain. Like it was meant to be sunny on Tuesday and it was meant to be thunder showers on Wednesday. So as hard, like, I think once you get over the cruelty of it was meant to be, you can also see the compassion and the happiness that it was meant to be uh, brings into your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I could understand that. Absolutely. Um, the meant to be, the meant to be idea. Um, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's a half true um, because I think there's a, there's a there's a factor that we you know that seems that tends to escape escape us and that's that's human inter, in human intervention that's choice because when when you say that something is meant to be you're saying that it was you know it was predestined it was um, it was um, forespoken um, ordained but that gets into very muddy waters and here's why. When something is meant to be, that rem often removes, um, if not always removes, um, individual, individual agency. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it it gets to a place where, you know, um, so, so this movie once, or I guess I, guess I can use any movie. So it's it's a matter of matter. You know, it's someone, it's a young man gets shot by his cousin playing video games. And, you know, someone says, well, it was meant to be. Well, sure, sure. So what part was meant to be? Was it the part, was it the part that, you know, was it the part that the cousin was going to choose? No matter what he, no matter who he was, no matter how he grew up, no matter, you know, um, what he valued in life, he was just going to end up shooting his cousin? Or are you saying that the guy, that young man was just supposed to die that specific day? And if he wasn't getting shot, he was getting hit by a bus. And then in that case, still, the driver, he, he made choices that brought him there. You know, he made choices. And so I think, uh, I think um, the men's to be thing, the men's to be is, is though I, I, I believe, I, I, I have believed that. But I, I cannot, um, I cannot say, I can't say that that's the entirety of how the how the cosmos works, and simply, simply because of you know um, 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 free agency. But I will say that the hard things that happen, though I can't tell, I can't say exactly why they happen. Um, the hard things, the bad things, the the difficult things, the tragic things, the grieving things that happen to to human beings the change and it's usually change right i mean you know if things are going good they're going good and then boom change comes along good old change and one of the most wonderful things we can learn one of the good things we can learn in this life is how to accept change when it comes no matter how difficult or how good some people are very a friend once told me that he was asked by a man he said uh, 
Are you scared of success? And I realized that he was scared of success. So we have people who are actually scared of good things happening to them. So I would say that no matter what the change is, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, it's, it's very helpful when we can come to terms with accepting it. It's very helpful when we can come to terms with, with knowing that this is just the way of the cosmos. This is, way, this is the way things are. I like, I like your objections to it was meant to be. I think there's some good points. This is where my stoic teachings are going to kind of play a hand in this. Okay. Amen, brother. <laughs> we need, we see, I love, I'm combining Greek philosophy, religion. It's all, all, all the ingredients are there. Sometimes you need celery. Sometimes, Island, baby. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you need celery. Sometimes you need carrots. Sometimes you need uh, onions in your soup, whatever works, whatever gets that whatever, soup going, right? Whatever gets the soup going. Man. <laughs> so, stoicism, so stoicism uh, would tell us this. When it comes to it was meant to be, because let's just say, for example, you're you're working at a company and you're a janitor. It's very easy to say it was it was meant to be. I was preordained to hold this mop for all eternity. And like it does remove human agency from that individual. Like, okay, are you really meant to just be a janitor for the rest of your life? Is that is that really true? Or are you just using that meant to be as an excuse to not improve yourself, right? Depends where we are in history. There are times in history where that was true. Like, uh, like I think of in India, they had something called the caste system, and the position that you were born into was what it you know it was meant. To, it was literally it was meant to be. Like you're not. There's nothing you could do in your power. So I think when it comes to it was meant to be situations, you have to ask yourself: Do I have any agency over this situation? Okay, so whatever situation you find yourself in life, you have to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, do I have agency to change the situation? Can I find a new job? Can I seek a promotion? Can I quit? Can I do this? Can I do that? And if the answer is yes, I can change this situation, then it wasn't meant to be because you have agency or you have power over that situation. However, where I think it was meant to be really, really, really helps and it becomes like an awesome pillow to snuggle with is when you don't actually have power over that situation because that allows you to sleep well at night when you don't have any agency over that situation. And I think, I think for like the things that happened to you in childhood, a lot of that stuff is it was meant to be because when you're a kid, you don't decide who your parents are. You don't decide where you go to school. You don't yeah. decide many things about what happened. So a lot of a lot of our early childhood experiences belong in the realm of it was meant to be. Because there's nothing that you and terminal illnesses belong in that sphere, in that category. So I think I think the the maturity comes from asking yourself, do I have power over, it's like, a, it's like a tree diagram or whatever. It's like, do I have power over this situation? Yes or no. If the answer is yes, then change the situation to the best of your ability. If the answer is no, rest easy knowing that it was meant to be. Yeah, no need fighting, no, no need fighting in, a, in like an impossible battle. Yeah, I, I, I can see that absolutely. That's why I think it's a, it's a half, it's a half truth. It's a, um, it's a yes and a no and a, um, yeah, I, I, I can see that absolutely. And to maybe help people with regret a little bit, I, I think there's like a small, it was meant to be, and then there's a larger, 
it was meant to be. And, you know, it's like, oh my God, I, I should not have married that girl when I was 23, right? And it's like, okay, you had, you had agency over that particular situation, but you making that mistake was a part of a larger, it was meant to be, right? Like, like because you had that terrible marriage when you were 23, when you then get married at, at 33, now you're that much more wiser. So I, I, think, I think there's layers to this. Like, I don't want people to just fall into that it was meant to be as, as a catch-all excuse for life, but it also helps justify past mistakes of like, well, the amount of failure that I experienced then allowed me to now learn from that and become this. And I, I do believe that in the back of my head, I'm not too hard on myself. I'm a little hard on myself, but not too hard on myself anymore <laughs> because I say to myself, it was part of, it was a part of the larger, it was meant to be um, existence, right? It was a part of the larger meant to be. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that I can just sit on my couch and do nothing all day, but it allows me to, it allows me to forgive myself for some of the stupidity that I may have done when I was younger. Um, Kenny, God, thank, God bless you. our younger selves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kenny, thank you so much for, uh, helping, helping all of us deal with some change here. Aaron, thank you for having me. This concludes the 150th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.